Hey everybody, I'm Tom Corbett. And I'm Justin St. Louis. And this is Uncommon Deeds. Welcome everybody. Back for another episode of Uncommon Deeds. Getting dirty today. And we are I mean it's still a ways away, but we're we're getting close to to a year. I know. What are we episode forty four today? Mm-hmm. And there's a car number tie into this one too. Which I don't think you would know, but no. uh, Adam Adam Pearson's dad, Gene, always drove number forty four. You know, it was interesting coming off last week, which was incredibly fun episode, Dylan yeah. Smith, and it was the big snowball snowflake derby everything down in Pensacola, and boy, that got a lot of buzz yesterday for how it finished. Oh my gosh! Even you were you were getting on the twitters and how oh, I love making I, some snarky this, comments. One like of my favorite things to do every year is to just shit on Ricky Brooks's tech down at the snowball derby. And listen, he does a great job and he's thorough and blah, 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 blah. But tech takes twice as long to run as the race. And that's stupid. What was the thing I said on Twitter? Uh, They were tearing down Chandler Smith's car and they were whatever it was. They didn't have the right tool and they had to go. Literally the tech guys had to go to O'Reilly auto parts in Pensacola, Florida, and get a tool so they could finish tech at the biggest stock car race in the goddamn world. Come on. Like, that's ridiculous. And uh, I took to Twitter, and I was going off about O'Reilly Auto Parts, and I think I said, breaking news from O'Reilly Auto Parts in Pensacola, Nick Sweet has been disqualified from the milk bowl. That's what it was, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was proud of that one. Chandler Smith passed tech, by the way. Now let's talk about how he lifted Derek Thorne's rear tires off the ground for a half a freaking lap to take the lead with 10 to go. Yeah, that was. That sucked. That's got to be interesting when you climb out from winning the biggest race of your life and just get booed. Right. Like, oh, it's split. I don't know. I listened to him get out, and that didn't sound like a 50-50 split. And all these new fans or younger fans or whatever, they're like, bump and run is part of racing, man. No. Mm-mm. That was more like a colonoscopy. He was deep in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was ugly. Just stupid. But congratulations, kid. Yeah. Not the weekend Mamba wanted, but I know he had a blast. Yeah, but you know he kind of knew that he, the the deck was stacked against him, right? Yeah, but he looked good in that fire suit. He truly did. Oh, oh there it is. Uh, we got great feedback from everybody on that show, and and that's exactly what we were hoping for, and we knew it would happen. I mean, really, we did. Um, just a great guy, and cool. fun. Once again, uh, to all. We've had a bunch of them, especially with Lincoln Lemieux a couple weeks yeah. ago, Mamba. 
we've had people comment and reach out like, man, I did not think that I was going to enjoy this or I was going to listen to it, but I learned something. It was a good conversation. He told good stories, whatever it may be. We appreciate that. That's kind of what yeah. the goal is. And we're not going to keep beating you over the head with that, but it's the goal for us. Yeah. And it's giving us some interesting opportunities. And even if, we don't have as many listeners to those episodes. We're getting some unique listens and new people checking out the podcast. And, you know, someone reached out to us this week who knew Lincoln Lemieux from Minnesota where he races and he's based out of, who is a media guy with someone down that direction for modifieds and stuff. And, reached out to us about getting him on our show. So unique opportunities from, you know, getting out of our comfort zone. And I mean, listen, we might do it too. Like, why not? Yeah. <laughs> you know, why not? And we read up about him and it sounded like he had a pretty, pretty cool, unique story. So why yeah. not? Yeah. But really, yeah. So thank you for everybody who is taking the journey with us when we go outside of our bubble. And if you don't enjoy it, sorry. It's going to it's going to be a scattered scattered listen for you cuz we're going to continue to do it. Yeah. Mhm. Dude, this guy is the goat. Adam Pearson. This he's, week's guest. He's the best that has ever done it for a driver from the green mountain state. And that is, that's no lie. I do the, I do the numbers. I do the research oh, and man. I can confirm 149 wins. You're going to, you're going to get some comments about those. Oh, bring them on, bring them on. <laughs> Listen, Bobby dragon will tell you he's got 145 and that's the same number that I've got. Um, in my research for him, Adam Pearson has 149 and is, continuing that run i'm sure um so what you're saying is we need to get bobby dragon in the uncommon media 48 <laughs> junkyard warrior that's right that's right god could you he imagine needs to win at least five races next year in al's warrior can you imagine him trying to get in that car oh my god he's he's a foot taller than al I think he's he was taller than Eddie, and Eddie almost oh, needed yeah. some help to get out of that thing. Yeah, Bobby Dragon's like six four, maybe more. His hands are almost the size of that Honda. Right. Oh man. And the hell of it is there's already a seventy one in the style of his car number in the Warriors, so he'd yeah. be screwed. Come on, he'd Bobby Dragon. Bobby Crouch's number. Yeah, Bobby Dragon and a Robbie Crouch forty eight. <laughs> Sign me up. I love it. With the open Do face that. helmet. Yeah. Speaking we'll Gary Mullins helmet from Nick Sweet and give that to Bobby Dragon. I'm hoping that is enclosed in like a nice case with security lasers around it, like at a museum <laughs> somehow in Nick's shop. Like the Hope Diamond. Yeah. Or the whatever the egg was called from that the new movie yeah. with the rock and Ryan yeah. Reynolds on Netflix. Uh, but speaking of Robbie Crouch cars 
or mm. Bobby Dragon. You know what's cool? Those kick-ass replica doors that Massetti Brothers custom vinyl lettering do. Paul Paul gave me a sneak peek just just before I think we started recording. Um, uh, anyway, it was a couple. I can't give it away. I can't even tell you. Certainly not on the air because they're Christmas gifts for somebody. But he did uh, a combination like generational door. You know the Lacare door that you talked about. Yep. He did another one for a for a Thunder Road racing family. Was it Super Chuck, cool. Rachel, Renee, BD Door, and Dan on the bottom? Yep. This is my wild guess. Yeah. It wasn't that, <laughs> but he could. He could. You know, really, and he wouldn't have to work too hard because the the car numbers and the paint schemes were identical on all. Yeah. Of them. <laughs> really, you just do one door and say yeah. it's all three. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You just somehow merge all three names on the first names on the top. Chuck Nagel. A. <laughs> right. Oh, uh, but. I bring what? that up. What are we talking about? <laughs> We're talking about Massetti Brothers Custom Final Lettering, established in 2005. <laughs> Guys, office, truck, motorsports, you can check out his Facebook page. He just did some cool work. I think it was for a hospital. Yep. Doing logos on doors. Really cool. So if you have a spare hospital that needs to be redecorated, yeah. Paul can do that for you. Or even maybe like gussy up your kids' bedroom doors. Hey, I like that. Yeah. Some cool name design or something. Speaking of which, he does logo design Mm -hmm. and does it by consultation. He did all the logos for Uncommon Deeds podcast. We've got a few of them, though. We've settled in kind of to the the straight black and white ones. But what is it? A Facebook page has the cool logo with the microphone and the helmet. Yeah, our like cover, our cover photo. Yeah. 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 That I love and did it all first try. We didn't need to go back and yeah. give tweaks. Zero redesigns. And he's open by appointment in Williamstown, 802-249-3763. You can email him jpmassetti at gmail.com. Mm. And like I said, Check him out on Facebook, Paul Massetti. That's M-A-S-C-I-T-T-I, Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl Lettering Designed to Win. I'm going to have you re-spell that last name at the end of this one here because the brother in Massetti Brothers Custom Vinyl Lettering is Michael John Massetti, MJ, and uh, his his company, Pro Heat, is a big sponsor of ours, and uh, they're coming up on 20 years, uh, established in 2002 and going strong. And as we're recording this, it's raining and it's turning to ice. And it's just another grim reminder that winter's icy hand is wrapping around your throat. But that doesn't mean you have to suffer. That means oh, that was dark. go inside and stay warm. I know it was a little sad, but uh, you can go inside and stay warm. And if for some reason you've got issues with not being able to get warm, then you need to call pro heat and uh, get them on it. Cause they'll be the ones to help you out. So if, if you've got problems or if you need to upgrades or whatever, 
with a water heater or a furnace or a heat pump. Get a heat pump. Those things are cool. Um, space heaters, boilers. Um, that's the place to go. Pro heat. Um, they sell it. They service it. Um, they can they can keep you warm all winter long. If you're in Montpelier, East Montpelier, Barrie, Berlin, that whole general vicinity, MJ's number is 802-272-0964. And you know who's got working for him, Tom? Derek O'Donnell. Oh, yeah, that's the guy. 802-238-3848. And he takes care of the Bradford Groton Route 302 territory. So uh, those are your guys. You can visit them on Facebook. Pro Heat is the name of the Facebook page. Their East Montpelier office is 802-479-9330. And that's Pro Heat from MJ Massetti. Go ahead and spell that one more time. M-A-S-C-I-T-T-I. Yeah. I am a sucker for a last name with two T's in a row. Oh, because you have one. I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I get it. Mm -hmm. It's an obscure reference, but some of us get it. Corbett. Also, we're definitely happy to have Barry Tile with us as mm-hmm. not only sponsoring the podcast, sponsoring the quick hitter questions, which we get back into our normal Barry Tile quick hitters this week. Yeah, we, we run the show this time. We hosted quick hitters this week. <laughs> we should have just took Mamba's questions and rec- used his voice and just oh, let him yeah. do quick hitters. All right. We could take a break. Maybe have a smoothie while our guest answers Mamba's questions. Or you could or you could browse the Facebook page for Barry Tile if you want. That is one of my favorite pastimes lately. It really is. It's awesome. And sad. More so <laughs> in a on now. More, more so in a God we're we have old. To, we have and to do this kind of stuff. More so in a God are we old? Like, hey, do you see yeah. that? You see the new tiles on Barry Tile's yeah. Facebook page? Did you see that concrete patio on the Barry Tile page? Did you see that snakeskin countertop? <laughs> no, they did not have my snakeskin countertop. Is that a thing? I actually, sadly, I did Google it, or I didn't really, didn't really see what I was looking for. No. <laughs> well, listen. You know what? Call Dave. At Barry Tile and say, I'd like a snakeskin countertop. What can you do for me? <laughs> I bet he'll find an answer. Oh my no, God. I would, may need a diver- divorce attorney after that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Dave's a racer. Uh, his whole family, they're racers and better yet, they've been in business and they know what they're talking about since 1972. That'll be 50 years next year. Um, they're on the Southbury road and you can see them on Facebook. It's Barry Tile. That's the name of the page. And um, they've got all kinds of uh, pictures and examples of their their work. Right now, the latest post is this amazing hardwood floor. Um, and I don't know if it's a house or apartment or something like this, but it's it's awesome. <laughs> it's it's beautiful. Uh, and you can go check it out. It's Oh, they're there to Red Oak Natural. It's in the comments right there. Um, just awesome stuff. And if it's tile or hardwood or carpeting um, or whatever it is that you need, any sort of projects, whether it's floor or kitchen, showers, uh, anything like that, inside or outside, home or business, Barry Tile is the place for you. 802 476 0912. 
And again, they're on the South Barry Road, right in Barry, Vermont. Barry Tile. Thanks to all our sponsors that help us bring this show to you every week, free of charge. Make sure to check out all their stuff. And if you want to be a part of the Uncommon Media family by sponsoring Uncommon Deeds, the Crunch Bunch podcast, both, or maybe you have a media idea that you think we can help you with, you can reach out to us on any of our socials, or you can send us an email, uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. That being said, now seems as good a time as any for Justin to make today's introduction. Our guest this week is finally, finally a dirt driver. Our first one, and it is, I dare I say, the best driver in the state of Vermont in all of auto racing history. And I don't think I'm exaggerating anything here. The stats don't lie. He's knocking on the door of 150 career wins. He's already got more than 20 championships, 13 of which have come at Bear Ridge Speedway. And uh, I don't know, the guy is just going to keep on going. Uh, it's a pleasure to have on Uncommon Deeds, the Adam Bomb, Adam Pearson from East Corinth, Vermont. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, um, we're just I'm just a dumb Vermont racer. That's all. That's all we Vermont. are. <laughs> that makes three of us. <laughs> uh, so man, what is that? What does that feel like when Justin starts reeling off some of those numbers and he didn't mention names, but then you say, oh, that's four more than Bobby Dragon had. <laughs> I, it's one of those things where I've never really tried to keep track. Yeah, I have a bunch of trophies in my garage and, you know, I, I, I literally have every trophy. I, well, not every trophy, but a lot of trophies I have in my garage because when I went, used to go travel around with my dad with all the racers, they always had trophies in the garage. So I always told myself to get my own garage, my own stuff. I want to keep them all. But um, I don't know. I just race one race at a time. If you get a win, you get a win. If you don't go back next week, that's, that's really it. But yeah, when people start talking about it, you think about it, it's like, Oh wow. Yeah. Now I'm this old now I'm almost 40 and I've been racing for 20 something years and I've been very fortunate and lucky to have the people behind me that have. So that's pretty much it. And we talked about it before we hit record. We had a few people who are really itching for us to start getting some dirt guys on the podcast and yep. we've been waiting for reasons that we don't need to talk about, but it feels only fair that I ask you, tell us about that Tiger win you had at Thunder Road in 2013. <laughs> the Tiger win? <laughs> um, I think you were driving for Todd Ruda. Yeah, we won the heat race, and then they had that uh, semi-feature thingy. I think it was like point stuff, yeah. and I started on the outside pole won that and then the feature we went won the feature but again i started on the outside pole front row but no everyone knows that thunder road i mean you've got to i mean and i'm not an asphalt guy <laughs> i was sideways people didn't like me because i should be go back on dirt you don't belong over here you know that kind of thing but uh no it was cool to get a win over there i mean it's hard to win over there period i mean but yeah it was cool i'll i'll race anything i don't care you you had raced uh you had raced a year or two in Tigers about a decade before that too. Mm-hmm. And you were close raced, to winning. You were close to winning. You just didn't quite get there. No, no. Um there was my I think it was my senior year in high school. That was the year that 
we bought my cousin's Eddie, Eddie's car, Eddie Patterson. And, um, that was when I was driving the modified at Kane and dirt, the coupe at Bradford and then thunder Road on Thursdays with the, with the tiger car. So it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every week. Yeah. It was a lot. I don't know how, I, I don't, still don't know how my dad did it. He had a, ran his own business, raced three race cars and stuff. It was fun, but he got sick of it though. He didn't like the pavement stuff. So well, that was it. You mentioned your dad and going back to our actual first question, when do you remember motorsports really coming into your life? Hmm. Um, let me try to think here. Well, I mean, I've been obviously been racing, been racing my whole life, but probably like 12, 13 ish, maybe that's when I started like, Oh, I kind of, I want to race a race car, you know? And I think when I was like probably almost 14, that's when my, I wanted to help dad. And he's like, yeah, well, you're going to have to work on the car first. We jump in one. So that's what I did. So I guess probably 12, 12, 13 years old is when I really started like, okay, I'm getting older and, and I want to race. I wanted to race go-karts and stuff, but my dad, he knew nothing about it and he didn't want nothing to do with it. <laughs> now was, was he in modifieds at the time or was he running a coupe? He was in modifieds. Yeah, at the time when I started, yes, I was running the coupe. Actually, the year before, I was 16 because back then you had to have a license to race. Mm. So I couldn't start until I was 16 had my license. So the year before, my dad and myself and my Uncle Tim built a car. My Uncle Tim Claflin drove it the first year. And then when yeah. I turned 16, then I took it over. Yeah. And it so. goes back before that, too, as well. I mean, your father raced forever and ever, um, mm-hmm. your uncle. Um, your cousin yeah. Ryan, right? He's your cousin, right? Yeah. And yep. but your grandfather raced too. Yep. Yeah. My great uncle Pete raced. My grandfather raced, and then my both my uncles, my dad's brothers raced. My dad and myself. That's a lot. So, yeah. And hopefully this year that uh, my son Ashmo race. We'll see. We'll how see. Old, how old is he? He's 16. Does that make you nervous? Yep. No. He's either going to do it or he won't. <laughs> I mean, right. It's pretty simple, I guess. But <laughs> no, nah, it's nervous. Like, I, yeah, I'm nervous a little bit. But I mean, he's never he's never even had, tried the car out in practice. So he has no idea what to yeah. expect. Yeah. At least the year before I started racing, I actually took the coupe out like six or seven times at Bear Ridge, like after the races were done. And that kind of got me a little bit warmed up for it for those of us that don't know. And if you were to put your son in a coupe modified, whatever on dirt first time out, how much more difficult or is it more is if you put him in an asphalt tiger with no experience? I don't know. I guess I don't think it would be any more difficult the very first time you did it because you're out there getting the feel of the car but as far as dirt goes getting that active sideways thing and being comfortable with it is pretty difficult sometimes and to do that when a guy's right next to you at the same time but pavement same thing i mean you're you're driving straight you turn left you don't get loose it's, so it's kind of more like a rhythm thing dirt there is a rhythm but there's also just the chaotic of dirt that you never know sometimes. You're like, all right, I'm going to go way to the outside 
You know, pavement stuff is mostly follow the leader, I think, but not all the time. So I don't know. I think I, don't know. I think the dirt would be easier myself, but that's just my opinion. I don't know. Now with pavement, you kind of like you said, you have to get into a rhythm, um, and you have to try and drive the lap the same over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Have you ever driven a lap on dirt the same as the previous lap, or is it just throw it in there and see what happens? Uh, no, I mean you. You're kind of right. The dirt, you definitely get into a rhythm sometimes, but um, it's different though, because as the night goes on, sometimes the outside of the bottom will come into it where like the pavement stuff, if that's the line for that night, that's the line. That's it. There's no outside or middle, you know? So, so that's why I guess like dirt, it's hard to get in a rhythm because the lines change a lot. And sometimes it might be outside one and two, bottom three and four. You know, it's just, it's all different, I think. So you're 16 years old. You take over the car from your uncle. What was your learning curve that first year? My learning curve. Uh, Well, if everyone knows my father, he's a very uh, tough man. So come on. uh, He's a teddy bear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's, I'm trying to remember my first race. I was nervous as shit for one. And they started, they start you in the back for the first three weeks of a heat race and feature because you're not ready to be up front, which is understandable. So the first race, I think, I, I want to say, I don't know if I got lapped or not, but my dad just told me, go out, just, just focus on the racetrack and don't hit anybody. And that's what I did. <laughs> and then after, I think it was my fifth, my fifth race, I find, I got a win. I think it was over Mike Jenrin, I think. And I can't remember who the other guy was. Chris, uh, oh, I can't remember. That's a long time ago. Well, it was. It was 2000. Right. I mean, that's yeah. 21 years ago. Yep. Yeah, this will be my 22nd year. I'm getting old and bald. You know that. Oh yeah. yeah, we've got that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did you did you experience any pressure from fans when you were first getting out there? Because you know the Pearson name is kind of royalty in Vermont, especially over at Bear Ridge. Yeah. Um. And not really. I mean, guess no. I guess after a while. I mean, I've been fortunate enough that you know I've won some races and some championships, but. So then what happens is people start expecting things, you know, like, oh, Adam, oh, yeah, third. How come? Car was yeah. car slow? No. Everyone else is going good. And, you know, that's racing. You know, so that's the kind of pressure stuff I used to get quite a bit. And, you know, and then and then once you move move up or do a different place, then it changes again because now it's a new place, different people, different racers, different everything. So yeah, there's there's definitely pressure, but I always say one race at a time. That's it. Don't care if it's Bear Ridge, Devil's Bowl, Albany Saratoga, Weed Sport, don't matter. Just one race at a time. So outside of your relatives, who did you look up to when you started racing? Who were the guys that you were like, oh crap? Well, actually, if when I I'll start with the dirt. The dirt stuff, 
I always liked uh, Danny Johnson and Tremont, Kenny Tremont. I don't know why, just one of those things. And on the pavement. Those two guys couldn't be more different, by the way. (laughs) Oh, I know. I know. I don't know why I like Danny Johnson. Maybe it's the car colors or something. I don't know. I mean, I was was young. But um, as far as locally for pavement stuff was Burger Blake. I always remember the name. And that's Thunder Road. You know, I idolized my dad, you know, to, to a point, you know, because my dad raced and that kind of thing. But, yeah, Tremont and Danny Johnson, the doctor. The doctor. <laughs> yeah. So, you, I mean, you won, like you said, very early in your career. Um, mm-hmm. How was your dad with that? <laughs> was he uh, like, he was- Jesus, it took you five weeks. What the? What's the problem here? <laughs> no, no, he, he was, I mean, I will say he was hard on me at the first, I mean, he's, he was hard on me, but when I, when we got the first win, he was nothing but smiled ear to ear. I mean, it was, oh, yeah. yeah, it was, it was my first win. I think it was the fifth or sixth week into it. And it was AC performance sponsored night and he built our motors. Sure. So it just so happened that we won, he was there and you know, dad, it was, he was excited. He didn't give me too much crap that night. <laughs> I mean, how could he? Ugh. But have you have you ever reversed the roles and given him crap? I mean, you win a lot more than he does these days. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, it's it sucked this year, really, because I yeah, he had he a just, tough year. You know, and I, I don't know. I, I in in my own opinion, I think he expected a lot more from himself, which I probably would have done the same, but. At the same time, it's like, Dad, you know, you, you know, you haven't raced a modified really in like almost like ten years. Mm-hmm. They're different now. Things are different. And honestly, that that track is not Bear Ridge either. Bear Ridge is a quarter mile. It's smaller. It's different. And Devil's Bowl is a half mile. It's, so speeds are different. Everything's different. But, um, yeah, it was tough. It was it was hard. I, I I think, you know, honestly, I think I might have been responsible a little bit for putting some of the pressure on him because I built up the, the fact that he was coming to race Devil's Bowl. It's, it's, yeah. This is my job. Um, you know, and uh, he, your dad carries a lot of weight, whether he'd been around or not. Championships and race wins are relatable for race fans. And right. when somebody like yourself or uh, your brother, Kevin Chafee, or your father or your uncle Melvin, because every right. one of you have been, you know, sort of invaders over at devil's bowl the last few years. Yeah. People realize that, you know, these guys are a big deal. So I think you're right that your dad probably had some, some pressure that maybe wasn't fair on him. Um, no, had a good he, car a couple of nights and got wrecked a couple of nights. You know, that was, that he, was the hell of he, it. Yeah. He did get wrecked at one time with Jimmy Ryan, which, you know, it's racing, you know, did I think Jimmy did it on purpose? No. Jimmy's not like that. Um, but, you know, I just think it, it, the cars are different now and how you got to drive them. And, you know, dad had the mentality of come in, slow down, smash the gas or smash the brake. Can't do that. You know, so it's like it's old school driving. You can't do that anymore. Well, you guess you can if the track's like completely heavy and you can hold right to the carpet. But it doesn't it's not always like that. So. He still had fun. He had fun doing it. But, you know, at the same time, I think with, you know, it's kind of, I'm going to say selfish, but, um, you know, I had a lot going on myself with, you know, racing there and racing Albany and doing the super dirt car stuff. And it was, a, it was a lot. So I think 
all all kinds of stuff played into it this summer. It weren't just like him. It was everything because we work out of the same shop, and it's just me and my dad all summer. No one helps us all during the during the week. So he just said had enough. So but, we'll jump around a bit. So you're 16. Yeah. You win that first race, and it kind of mm-hmm. starts moving. When do you really build the confidence and know, like, ooh, I'm actually I'm pretty freaking good at this. <laughs> um, actually, the I mean, I was I mean, I guess you could say I, I guess I was confident enough my first year, but I knew in my own head that okay, I'm, I'm rookie. I'm going against a bunch of veterans that can drive the wheels off race cars and I'm new. So I want to earn their respect first. So when it really came into it was the second year racing coupes because my dad's like, all right, well, you did pretty good your first year with an older car. So let's build a new coupe. So when we say new coupe, it's like the parts in it aren't new, but the chassis was like all ready to go brand new. And, you know, dad spent money and, we that car was like a rocket ship and i could fly by anybody and but i always ran the outside everywhere barrage only with the coupe i ran the outside everyone would play on the bottom and i would just go make it three wide on the outside and go around people and everyone thought we were cheating this kind of thing and you know so i guess it was my second year that i really knew that you know i would i I think we, I can drive and I got good stuff and let's win. So I think that was, yeah, second year. Have you ever been a points racer? I mean, I know that you've won a million championships, but you said a few minutes ago, it's week to week. Do you go right. for a win or do you think big picture? I go for a win. Yeah. And I guess in the back of your head, at any racer, you, you kind of know, I mean, I, I never, all the years I raced, I never looked at where people were in points even myself and it cared and be like, all right, this guy's 10 points ahead of me. And, Oh, I make sure I get buy in now one race at a time. And if I go to win, if I don't, then I'll try next week. And then the end falls that we win it. Then awesome. If not next year, that's how I am. Anyways, my dad, on the other hand, he's different. He always, he's a, him and my uncle Melvin. They, they're always like points people. I want to win races because that's what you're going to. Yes. Do you remember championships? Sure. But you remember these races that you win, I think, more than a championship, in my opinion, though. 150 is a much more kind of rememberable number than 20 or whatever championships you're at. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But size matters. Don't don't, let them lie to you. (laughs) I don't. I don't remember all my wins and stuff, but you know, there's definitely a pile of them that I will never forget. You know, just like one at Bear Ridge where I almost lapped the whole field in 40 laps, green to checkered, and I was right on Jason Gray's tail and Donnelly. And if I would have got by them, I would have put everybody a lap down in 40 yeah, laps. I was there. What a show! That I'll never forget that. And then I don't know. It's hard. I'm really breaking out the memory. Even even last year at the bowl with Tremont. Yep. Was it last year or the year before? Last year, right? I believe it was the first part of, of twenty twenty. Yeah. When, you know, we did slide jobs at the end and got him at the I mean, that was one of those races too that you'll never I'll never forget. You know? Even if I got second 
it would have been a still good, awesome race to get second in. <laughs> so, so if Kenny Tremont's your hero growing up, and you know he is from way on the other side of the mountain, he's he's a Malta guy, and mm-hmm. you guys are up in the woods in Bear Ridge and and over in Canaan, um, and you see Tremont once or twice a year, you know, for special shows, and you've yeah. got to travel to them. He's not coming to you. So right. what is it like for you to all these years later? And I know you've been racing with him for a long time, but what is it like for you to run, you know, wheel to wheel with that guy and trade sliders and beat him for a win? It's a pretty cool thing to do. I mean, not, not many people can say that about one of your, you know, growing up, one of the guys you like to watch and big block racing modifieds, you know, and, and then you're, you know, trading paint with him a little bit in, it's, it was definitely a cool feeling. I mean, now I look at myself like, well, it's going to be 20 something years now. So I'm not a rookie. I'm not in my prime. I'm almost a veteran kind of now. So now I view myself, I'm like, all right, well, I'm kind of like him, but I don't have the stats he's got maybe someday, you know, but it's cool. feeling there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever do you ever talk to him or Danny Johnson or any of those guys about that kind of thing? Like you know you're in victory lane and slapping uh, slapping shoulders and stuff and high fiving and that was a great race. You were my hero, by the way, and I just beat you. I mean, or is it is that a conversation you've ever had with any of those guys? No, no, not really. I mean, I I mean I've talked to Danny Johnson a couple of times, but I mean I never really around him a whole lot, anyways. But no, not really, because we're there to race, I guess. I don't know. And I don't know if that would come up to my mind at that point. I think, I think the first year, well, see, I raced against Tremont when it was CVRA rules way back in the day. Yeah. When he raced there weekly, um, you know, with Jimmy and who else was there? Camaro was there. Um, who else was there? I don't know. Well, half the guys that you raced with this year, really Tim LeDuc, Donnie Madison, guys like that. I mean, right. There was a lot of them. Yep. Yeah. Vince yep. yep. sure. Mm-hmm. Vince. But no, I guess I've never had a conversation like that before. But I mean, I told Kenny, you know, like I was, I watched you grow, you know, I watched you when I was growing up, you know, that kind of thing. Syracuse, I went there once. Actually, I was not very young then, though. But I just remember seeing videos that my dad used to have on VHS back in the day, and I'd watch them. I never actually, I never went anywhere when I was really young. Um, but I'm trying to think. I guess the closest place I went to was the Valley. Um, you know, the Mr. Dirt Track race. But I probably started going there when I was like 15 or 14. I said, yeah, I think so. It's cool, though. It's cool. So as you go through high school and you're finishing up high school, was this always kind of the goal of the main thing you wanted to do? Did you always say, I'm going to keep doing this? This is what I love to do? I knew that racing wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, yeah, my goal in life was like, I always wanted to race a big block, but we don't live in, we didn't live in the right, we don't live in the right area. Um, my dad and myself, especially my dad did not have the pocketbook for that. Um, so I didn't expect, I wanted to race big blocks, but never, I never expected to be where I'm at right now. I got lucky, I guess. Um, you know, I met Adam Gage like seven, eight years ago and turned into this, which was nothing. I didn't expect this to happen, but um, 
I don't know. I kind of wanted to make it somewhere in racing. Didn't know how far I would get. And we've gotten this far so far. So we'll see if we can go any further, I guess. I don't know. For the uninitiated. One race, one race at a time, right? That's it. <laughs> For the uninitiated asphalt fans, um, Adam is right racing in the big block modifieds for the first time this year on a full-time basis and ran the super dirt car series got your first career win uh at a weekly show at albany saratoga speedway and you're racing against it's basically a super dirt series race on a friday night 30 lapper um Mm. that's that's your competition every week um not only is it strange that like you said you don't live in the right area not only are you from vermont you're from the other side of vermont your car (laughs) owner and your car owner is from new hampshire Mm-hmm. And so for you guys, you rednecks to pull into Albany, Saratoga um, or Weedsport or, you know, Oswego for Super Dirt Week, you stick out like a sore thumb <laughs> in the best of ways. I don't mean that in a derogatory yeah. fashion at all because we're yep, all woodchucks here, but um, oh, yeah. it is a strange uh, thing to look at on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this this year especially was uh, uh I, I don't know what i'm not good with words but it was kind of an odd it was an awesome year it was fun and you don't know how many times people come up like you the vermont guy i'm like yeah i'm the vermont guy you know like the vermont guy <laughs> it just it's yeah. kind of funny um you know people it's cool that we're you know we're making impact on you know fans and people all through new york and you know and when they see the orange 215 car, they're like, oh, yeah. You know, so that, that's definitely a cool feeling for sure. So what was it like for you after, whatever, 20 years, and you're the biggest fish in these small ponds to go <laughs> back to being the small fish in a big pond? <laughs> um, You know, even when around here, when I was the – you know, the home track, hometown track stuff. And, you know, yeah, I could win. I knew I could win any given night, but I actually don't mind being the small fish in the big pond. Um, I actually kind of, I like it because it's a challenge and, you know, some things I probably will never get. I'll never beat certain people be- sometimes because it depends on money and all kinds of stuff. I mean, there's, in racing, there's so many factors. Um, but as, as far as being the small fish in a big pond, it's fine as long as you don't get eaten up alive, I guess. I'm still alive, so we'll see. <laughs> and kind of hit on what Justin said earlier, it's got to be a little more fun instead of having the people disappointed at you and wondering what went wrong when you finished third to kind of have people assuming that you're not going to win and try to prove yeah. them wrong. Right. <laughs> um it's it's all right i mean you know i always like stiff competition in you know i'd rather go somewhere and finish 12th than this is my opinion this is nothing against any racetrack or anybody else but i'd rather go somewhere i've never been race against guys that i don't know or i've heard the guys and these guys are the best in the business and go there and finish 12th than go win at a home track for me personally um because the next week that 12th could turn into a ninth and then it could turn into seventh, you know, cause it just makes you better for me. I do miss, I do like home track racing and, and I, I miss a lot of 
family and fans that can't travel like we do. So I do miss that part. Um, but now with all technology, they can watch us on TV. So it's cool. Well, uh, what you said makes total sense. And I will point to the mid 2010s uh, when you started racing midgets um, Mm -hmm. with the Manafort team. I mean, let me see here. I'm looking at the numbers. 2013, you won 11 times. 2014, you won Mm -hmm. 18 times. 2015, 15 wins. 2016, 21 wins. With all due respect to those who finished second to you, boring gets or winning gets boring after a while, doesn't it? When you know <laughs> it's basically a guarantee. Uh, I mean, see, I it's hard for me to talk like that because I I race to win every time, but it, winning never gets boring. It just, I guess, when you realize, like, all right, I need a different challenge, I need to go somewhere else, or move up a division. Well, that plays in the fact of money and sometimes, you know, I've been lucky and fortunate that we've had enough money in the last, you know, eight, nine years really to do it. So, um, yeah, winning's not boring, but it's, I guess when it's time to move along, it's time to move along, I guess. I don't know. And sometimes that might not be the right thing. You might make the wrong choice, but for us right now, it's going okay. Hopefully we can keep it up. It was a very humble answer, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. It's tough. I don't, I'm no different than anybody else. Yeah. No different than you. So you have driven a lot of different types of race cars and one in all of them. Um, midgets, modified sprint cars, coupes, big block, 358. Um, mm-hmm. And I've seen you do it where you're winning and more than one car on the same night. Mm-hmm. Um, how difficult is it to jump from one to the other? Um, it can be difficult at, at times. Um, I will honestly say, I think that the midget racing is what made me a whole different driver because they're small, they're kind of out of control and you got to be smooth with them. So, but from jumping from like when I first started doing it with from a midget to a coup or modified, it was a big difference. I don't know. You just like a spring car to a modified, a spring car. You actually don't even turn right a whole lot. Really. You taxi turn left a lot. The car tilts to the left as you go faster because of the wing modified your tip back and to the right. So like your whole perception changes and the wheelbase of the car reaction of the car. It's a lot different, but give me a couple of laps and I'll get it. You know, so going back and forth, it might take me, you know, like I'll go out there with a sprint car at doubles bowl per se, hammer down and then get in the modified. And I might jump the corner and one because I came in a little too hot. I'm like, oh, this ain't the sprint car. You know what I mean? So then you just kind of back yourself down a little bit. <laughs> but it, it is different, though. Every car drives different. How long does it take you to to get the feel for it? Give me a few laps. Probably like three, three laps, four laps, and I'll start getting the handle of the car. I think, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's all about feel. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes you feel it. Sometimes you don't, but, but I'm, I have that mindset though, that I will drive anything. If it has steering wheel and pedals and an engine, I'll drive it. It just dawned on me as you were answering that question, you know, with dirt guys, you get two laps of practice. 
that's all you have. So if you don't figure it out in that two to three laps, then you don't figure it out. No. So what was it like for the first time? This is an asphalt question. When you go out to Thunder Road and you practice for a half a freaking hour. Well, at first, when I first did it, I'm like, man, you guys run a lot of laps and practice. But for me, I was like, that's fine. Cause I need to, like, I need to put some laps down and, you know, get the feel of the car. And then as, as time goes on, sometimes with too much practice, you'll die yourself out too, mm-hmm. because you keep chasing. I don't know. I just think if you go out there, like for me, a practice, but this is a dirt thing must be, you go out there because we've always had two laps or three laps. That's it. No more. So you go out, you make sure it breaks very good. Throttle seems good. No hesitation. Cars feels okay. And then you park it and ready for the heat race. But as you said, Thunder Road, you go over and you practice for half an hour. Well, now you're just burning tires off. And I don't know. And when we did the asphalt stuff, I'd go over there and I'd do five or six laps and pull it in. and be like, yeah, car's fine. It's good. I mean, why waste tread? Why waste tires? <laughs> oh, I don't know. But that's just asphalt, though, because the track changes a lot with the temperature of the track, with the with the sun. I mean, the dirt, it changes, too, but I guess it is different. It is different. Well, I've always giggled at that. You you go out and burn up the tires and the fuel in uh, 80 degrees in the sun, and you race mm-hmm. in 60 degrees at night. Right. The track is not the same at all. I've always thought that's the dumbest thing in the world. Even before I knew what dirt racing was, I thought that was the stupidest thing ever. Yep. It is. I mean, you know, these guys, they they go out, like, especially Thunder Road, you go out there and it's sunny out. It's nice and hot. Tracks like really slimy and slippery because the track's hot. Your tires are just sliding along. And then you keep adjusting the car to get it so it's good in the sun. And then by the time your heat races come, the sun's gone down. Now you're like, uh oh, now we got to change the car back. Well, now I don't know what's going to do. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess it's experience, and but it just seems to be one of those things that a lot of people do it, I guess. So is it all your call when you're driving? Is anyone else kind of giving you any ideas on what might work, what might not work? Or is it all, it's your feel and it's your call? No, um, I actually, like, you know, I'll ask my dad or whoever's at the track. I'm like, how did the car look all right? Like, yeah, it looked all right. You know, it looked like you kind of got tight here or this or that. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of felt that way too. I think you should do this. And they're like, well, what about, you know, if you got to talk to someone that knows suspension stuff and knows things too, but I do like to ask what the car looks like because just because I feel something, but the car might look different and they might see something like hey it's doing this and then i actually get looking at something like oh yeah this is why it's doing it you know sometimes it makes a big difference in how the car actually looks from the outside not just for what i feel so yeah i i take everybody's opinion i mean then i'll kind of scrunch it up in my head and feel like all right well let's do this or what do you think what we should do i don't know you know it's just that's how it goes so let's get back into the coupe days here not too long because you know it's a pretty uh, again i'm going to say the word boring because you just won everything um three championships in a row and just a pile a pile a pile of wins mm-hmm. um you started to play around in the 358s over to canaan um and you had modest success 
Mm-hmm. How, how harder, how, how much harder was that to jump up and race against those veteran guys? From the coops? Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely harder. Cause I mean, I, I watched, I watched a lot of them like, you know, Randy Howe and Dan Duville. Um, oh, there's a bunch of them down there. And, you know, Canaan was always the outlaw track. It was kind of like, there was rules, but there weren't any sort of, and we would have raced modifieds at Bear Ridge, but Butch wouldn't let us run two cars there. So, um, but to jump up to a modified from the coupe, I just wanted to get everyone's respect. You know, Jimmy Ryan, Vince Quinville, Dan Duville, uh, Randy Howe. Um, that was a couple other people, I guess. But, you know, those were the top guys then, you know, around our area. So I didn't want to run dirty. I wanted to run clean. I want to give him room. And, you know, that's I think that's how it starts. you got to earn respect first. And that's how and that's what will change the race later on in life. If you run this guy kind of dirty and, you know, he might not treat you good on the racetrack. So for me, it was all about getting respect from people first. Then once you got the respect and they talk to you, like, Hey man, you're doing all right. You know, that kind of thing. Then it's like, all right, now I can like maybe run with them, you know? So it's, but it's tough though. I mean, you run against guys that are better than you. That's how you get better, but you got to take a beating though at the same time. Cause you're going to get beat. <laughs> that's how, that's how it works though. How important are each one of those kind of bump ups in car in competition? You know, a lot of our listeners are asphalt people. They say, okay, street stock, tiger, late model, super late model. Right. How much are, is that, you know, quote unquote ladder system there for, for dirt and the modified guys? It's probably actually about identical, really. I mean, because every division you move up, there's a reason why people have – there's a reason why people move up. Um, but it's it's very important because sometimes, though, people move up and then realize it's not what they thought it was. They're not doing as good and they don't like it, and then they move back down because they don't like getting beat. Well, getting beat is what makes you better. Don't whine about it just work harder. Mm. That's my opinion though. And I don't, I don't like to give excuses. Like if, you know, I, over the years, people are like, Oh, you know, I got, I got second or I got fifth, but you know, my right front brake got messed up or this. And it's like, okay, D- then drive accordingly, like figure out a way to make the car go with no right front brake. There's always a way. You just all matter if you give up or not. And I just never been those type. I just, I never give up. Because my dad always told me, you know, never give up, you know, ever stop until that motor blows up and you can't go nowhere. Mm. So I guess that's always been distilled into me. How much have you raced against your dad? Um, we raced a few years at Bear Ridge when the modifieds, and that one year that me and him had a huge wreck on the front stretch, put us both in the hospital. Um, well, let's talk about then that. After that <laughs> yeah, that was well, a bad, that was a bad yeah. night. What happened there? It started it started because of me. I come out I was running third and I think dad was like midfield. Like he was running side by side with Carl Murray, I think. I think it was Carl Murray. Carl Murray, right? Sixty one. Yep. Um and you know, I think Donnelly was leading it. 
And I, I come into turn three and the car just like, I set the car in the corner and it like pushed like a dump truck. And I'm like, oh, hit a hole or something. And I reset the car in the middle of the corner, did the same thing. Well, now you have a split second to decide, come out of turn four. All right, something's wrong with the car. Something ain't right. So I either could be like, all right, I stopped dead on turn four on the outside of Bear Ridge, which is never a good idea. Mm-hmm. Or I'm running third, so I don't know how close they are behind me. So you either cut across traffic and get hit, or you just kind of limp the car along the front stretch and then pull it off and turn one. Well, I was limping the car in the front stretch, and I think Carl Murray, actually, Carl Murray got into me, and it put me in the wall right front first, and it spun me around kind of sideways-ish, and he got spun around sideways. So there was like almost a blockage in the front stretch, and it was so it was dusty that night. And Dad was racing with some guys, and Dad come out of turn four and just barely clipped Murray. And it sent him into me. And once he hit me, his car just started barrel rolling. I mean, it was so that was fine. Like dad was barrel rolling, like watching it happen. And I'm like, oh my God, dad's just flipping. Like it's just rolling in front of me. And I'm just sitting there looking at the car. And then you could, and then, you know, less cars are slowing going by. And I'm just like, kind of like, I was going to get out of my car. And then, of course, it's always the guy running last place comes wide open and sh- and hits me wide open the front stretch. I wasn't ready for it because I was like, oh, it's done. And it knocked me right out. His front bumper ended up through my fuel cell in the back of the car. He hit me pretty hard. So knocked me out. They, I come to, they got me out of the car. Dad's neck was hurting in his shoulder. So they put us in the ambulance, both of us, brought down to Dartmouth. And dad had a bruised shoulder and I was just had a headache pretty much. Like I was okay. Like I was a little sore, but I was fine. But that was a rough night because it totaled both of our race cars. It was junk. One night. Yeah, I was going to say, so. what is, uh, what's Monday morning like walking into the shop? <laughs> yeah, was, that wasn't good. That was Sunday morning when we got back and, you know, dad had his uh, thing in his arm, I think, because his shoulder was hurting and, and, uh, both cars were just, I mean, mine wasn't destroyed, but it was destroyed enough where like the frame was junk in the back. The rear end was broke. I mean, a lot of stuff. Dad's car oh. was just shambles because it barreled and it just wrecked everything. So when, when you have to replace a fuel cell, that's a, that's a wreck. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a good one. Um, and then, so that week, I think we had two week off because it rained out, but in two weeks we took both cars apart, whatever we could salvage. We cut up both frames and made one car out of it. And that's what dad finished the year at. And, and I borrowed uh, Butch's car, number six car, for the last four races. All right. That's, that's a great segue into Butch Elms. Let's talk about Butch. <laughs> um, because we haven't had a lot of conversations about Butch Elms on the show. And we'd love to have yeah. him on at some point. But um, that's a guy who has poured everything into this sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and can sometimes take things personally. Okay. Yep. A lot of times he can take things personally, mm-hmm. which is, which he's earned. Um, you know, he's, he's done it as a racer, a, a damn good racer, a champion racer. He's done it as a promoter for 30 plus years. What's your relationship like with Butch Elms? Um, you know, Butch has done a lot for, the racing around our area because, you know, let's face it, 
you know, between him and Devil's Bowl and Canaan and Rumney, those are the only tracks that were close enough for us rednecks up here. Um, Butch will help anybody and give anything to anybody. I mean, he's, he's done a lot for me. Um, you know, obviously I don't, I don't, I don't race at Barrage anymore, the track he owns, but, um, that's just cause I've, I've moved up division. So that's why, but, uh, I don't know. Butch is a good guy. He's, he takes care of people, but yet he does take things personal sometimes. Um, you know, I think, you know, when I left there three years ago, I think he took it personal and, you know, it was nothing against him or anybody. It was a hard choice, but he did take it personal though. I think, I think it's fine now, but, um, yeah, he's a, he's a tough one, but he'll be the first one to help you out though, too. I mean, I went to, uh, how many years ago now? Uh, three, four years ago. I went to Lebanon Valley for a um, King of Dirt race, and I had a bald 400 right rear. It wasn't bald, but, you know, didn't have a lot of tread, but it had tread to me. And Butch was like, looks at me and goes, that's tire running the feature. I said, it's all I got, Butch. And I, I, didn't, I didn't have enough money to buy a tire that night. I had enough money to get home. And he's like, go over and get a tire, and you charge it to me. You need to have a brand new one on there. You know, it's stuff like that. Like he'll, He yeah. helps people like that. Yep. So. He's a he's a true racer. He knows what it's like. Well, and it was your comment about you driving his six car. I can't oh. tell you how many people have driven that car. They wreck or blow a motor or whatever, and he says, "Take mine." Right. Oh yeah. He's he would help anybody. He'll he'll give you whatever he's got, and he ain't worried about paying you back. He ain't worried about a favor being paid. Just get your car back together and get back to the track. Right. Yep. I mean, that's he's 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 a good guy. He's done a lot for us all around here and, you know, his racetrack and other tracks I've raced that, I mean, it helped me to where I'm at today. So it's never going to be forgotten. What's the overall atmosphere in the pits for your standard, you know, dirt race? You know, we talk to a lot of asphalt guys who say it's a lot more quiet nowadays in terms of people helping people, you know, competitors talking to competitors everyone kind of just stays in their trailer area as opposed to you know <laughs> we talk to guys 80s 90s and everyone's running over and everyone helps everybody and everybody gives everybody parts what's it like for you guys on dirt i would say it's a, racing's a pretty big community i mean i could people are pretty nice a lot most of the tracks you know because now you know we kind of race against the same kind of guys now for the most part i guess um but people are pretty openly willing to help you out if you need something. I mean, if I'm coming on the wrecker, you know, I got my guys, my crew guys, and then maybe some guys in a park next to you that will give you a hand because they're right there and you do the same vice versa. Um, but I mean, I could, I remember I broke um, uh, a U-bolt, a main bolt on my driveline at Weed Sport this year for the Super Dirt Car Race. And I was scrambling trying to find parts. No one had nothing. So I ran over my buddy, Jack Laner, and he had an easy out. He had this, and then he didn't have the bolt. So I went over to uh, Billy Decker's trailer. He searched for a bolt, found a bolt for me. I mean, you know, sometimes people might think, you know, if you actually ask a helping hand, I think pretty much 95% of the people will help you. 
So I think it's a pretty open one. I mean, I'd help certain people, but I'm not going to go over and help somebody I don't know personally. You know what I mean? But if they, if, if I'm sitting in and I come off a racetrack and they're like, oh, do this, this, I'm right there. I'd, I'd grab a jack. Sure. Jack the tire off or grab an impact, take the tire off. I mean, racing's a big family. And it's not a lot of guys like at Albany when I race there, even the bowl. I mean, we, we all kind of get along. If we need something, we all borrow stuff. So that's how it should be, you know? But a lot of times people get it in their head like, oh, I don't want anybody close to my car. Let's cover it up. Let's cover this up. Let's oh, cover Jesus. that up. Yeah. It's like, you know what? We all have the same shit. So what? You have a different brand shock than me. I don't know what the valving is. There's a certain number on it. I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, it's like people just get stuff in their heads that they got to do. And I think it's dumb, but that's my opinion. <laughs> 90% of those race cars come out of the same building. <laughs> like, oh, I, I what know. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. It yeah. just, you know, I mean, I get it. Like if some guys want to like hang something up for a sponsor or something, that's one thing, but it's not really what it turned. That's not what it was about. It was about covering up everything so no one could see. And then like, oh, well, let's put a sponsor on it too. So the amusing one is that occasionally when you see like the guy running 20th, and he's all worried about the guy who's finishing in the top five, seeing what he's got. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's just, it's so dumb. If people come over here, like they'll make jokes, like you go to super dirt car races. I mean, I'm not saying everyone does it, but some guys do it. And I'm not saying it directly to them, but I mean, they're like, Oh, you'll cover your car up. I'm like, why, what do I got to hide? We all have the same stuff. I mean, what you want to get my angle of my shock. Well then go put a level on it. If you want to. Right. Get an angle finder. I don't care because you're not driving it. I am. Yeah. And what works for me might not work for you, but that's, that's how racing is. It's always been like that. There's some people that just don't want their stuff to be seen, but guess what? When you back out of the trailer, it's all uncovered. We can see it then. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know. When they're up on stackers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there anybody that you've taken under your wing? I mean, you are a veteran guy at this point. Under my wing? Um, well, you know, a guy that maybe they'll come to you and, and ask for advice and it starts to become a weekly thing or, you know, every other week or something like that where you, you just kind of always meet in the middle and, and you're the guy answering the questions. I mean, there's, there's been a few people over the years, I guess, but not too many. I mean, it's always one of those deals where you're walking back from a pit meeting or something or you're coming back from getting a water and you're like, hey, Pearson, what are you doing for the feature? You know, what do you think, you know? I said, I don't know. I think this, what do you think? Well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of the same page, that kind of thing. But I don't know if there's really anybody that would always ask me stuff or, or be like, Hey, what do you think? Or, but I mean, it's been a few people, I guess, but not, not too many though, but I'll, I'll answer anybody. Anybody has a question. I'll tell them straight up what I got. Like, Hey, come look at my car. This is what I'm doing. Here's see how I got this. Oh yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. You know, I mean, it's, you got to help out too. Cause we're all a big family, even though sometimes we might not like each other all the time. Any uh, to, <laughs> right? build, to build off Justin's, any young kids who who really impress you, who you've seen start making some waves? Hmm, young kids. Um, well, quote unquote kids. Right. Um, I think now. I don't know. I mean, Camden Duffy in the mini sprints, he, you know, I met him when he was like five years old at Bear Ridge Speedway. And now he's racing at the bowl. And was he 13 now or something, I think, or 12, 13. Yeah. I'm but he's a good little racer. Yep. He's, 
He doesn't have any fear, which is good because you can't have fear when you race. Because if you have fear, you're not going to take that chance or, you know, put it on the edge a little bit, you know. But yeah. from other than that, though, I mean, I'm trying to think of all the younger people. I guess I really can't think of any other than that. Um, dirt racing, especially. I have noticed, and Camden Duffy is is a great example of that, has a lot more younger racers than asphalt racing, at least in this neck of the woods. And there Mm -hmm. are kids out there starting at 10 years old and 11 years old. Um, How how young is too young to be strapped into a modified? And there there are a half a dozen examples of kids 12 years old racing in a a sportsman car and trying to move up to a 358 or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. some of them are really, really good. Um, mm-hmm. Tanner Van Doren, my God, the kid can yep. drive. Yep. Um, he can drive. And you don't have to name any names here of kids that can't, <laughs> but, <Yep. laughs> uh, <laughs> but in your opinion, uh, you know, is it, is a little bit too much? In my opinion, I think, I mean, uh, it's hard though. I mean, if the kid can prove himself and he gets respect, from the other drivers and he's not a menace and he's like, you know, putting respect first rather than trying to win a race and wreck some people doing it. That's where the difference is. And then, but when it comes to a certain age, I mean, I don't know if it's an age thing, but I don't know. I mean, I'm going by my experience. So I could race till I was 16. So in my head, 16 is a number for me, but that's how I did it. That doesn't mean it's right. Um, I mean, I don't know, but sometimes too, too young is too young and they just don't have the mentality of the racing. Like it's, you know, you're a kid still. So life is just like fun and eh, whatever, you know, I don't know. It's hard. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what's too young. That's why they have go-karts, I guess. And then you have age and weights and you work yourself up through and, you know, then you have the people that just want to bypass all that and be like, all right, he's 10. He's going to get right into a race car. Okay. Well, we can't fit, you know, look at, well, pro- good example. Bam, bam. Let's take home at, at Albany. I don't know how old that kid is, but he runs the sportsman class. I mean, he did, he did good, but he was like, I think he's like 13. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think I would be intimidated if I was a 13 or 14 year old kid going against all these other people. I'd be, I'd be probably scared if it were me. I don't know. I coach basketball. There's, there's a lot of teenagers that are really arrogant nowadays. <laughs> well, that's true too. Yeah. Yeah. Kids these days, some of them, not all, but some for sure. And arrogant is probably a pretty good word to use too. Do you have to be arrogant to be a race car driver though? I mean, is it, is there's a little bit of that built in, isn't there? Oh yeah. I mean, we're all stuck on our own ways, I guess. Right. We all think we know what works and what think we know is best for everybody else. So yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. Well, it's, what is the saying? If you win, you're confident. If you lose, you're arrogant. Something like that. <laughs> I, ne- wow, I, like that. I don't know. I never heard that before. I like that. Makes sense though. Hey guys, let's take a quick break from our episode to tell you that we are proud to welcome Barry Tile and Morrison Clark Incorporated as our newest supporters. Not only are they great at what they do, they're racers too. 
You got it. Family owned and operated since 1972. That's almost 50 years. Fairy Tile staff are qualified installers and they offer real world flooring experience and knowledge that you don't always find in the big chain stores. Whether it's tile, carpet, hardwood, or any other type of flooring, whether it's inside or outside, for your home or your business, choose Barry Tile. You can check out Barry Tile's Facebook page to see examples of their incredible work. Call them 802-476-0912. Or, hey, stop into the showroom at 889 South Barry Road in Barry, Vermont, and tell them that Tom and Justin and the Uncommon Deeds podcast sent you. This episode of Uncommon Deeds is presented in part by ProHeat of East Montpelier, Vermont. Established in 2002, ProHeat is now 19 years strong, and founder Michael John Massetti has 30 years' experience as a full-time heating technician. So they're here for the long haul. Winter is coming, so it's time to start thinking about your heating and hot water needs. ProHeat is a one-stop shop for sales, installation, and service. Whether it's water heaters, gas, oil, electric, or hybrid, they got you covered. Furnaces, oil tanks, cold climate heat pumps, Renai space heaters, boilers, gas, and oil. They can do it for you. In central Vermont, call MJ Massetti directly at 802-272-0964. In the Bradford or Groton area, you can call Derek O'Donnell. Yep, that guy at 802-238-3848. For more information, visit ProHeat on Facebook or call the East Montpelier office, 802-479-9330. Professional, reliable, on-time ProHeat. Now, let's go back to the show. And I guess maybe you sort of already answered this question, but at what point do you realize that it's not just arrogance that you're going to go out there and win, um, you know, and it, and it is almost a guarantee, but I mean, you, you must have to at some point kind of look around and, and realize what you're accomplishing as you're doing it. Um, you know, it's not everybody that can win a half a dozen races a year or more. And you've done that almost every year of your career, really, um, you know, this year you won one race and that's the first time that's happened in a long time. Um, mm-hmm. so, I mean, it's, did you ever, did you ever step back and, and say, Jesus, we're doing something here? I guess it, for me, I think it started with the midget stuff when we started, I mean, you know, me and dad, we travel a little bit to Albany and, you know, some other races here and there sporadically Eastern States weekend. But when I started racing the midget stuff, the Bear Ridge, and then, Frank wanted to go a little more. Then had the Outlaw series that went to some tracks in New York, and That's then Frank it kind Manafort of turned. Talking about, yeah, Frank. Yeah. Um, he, uh, you know, that kind of opened it up a little bit, and then and then I went to the Chili Bowl, and that right there was probably the one of the most scariest moments I've ever been racing because. You know, we're back here racing in Vermont and New York and stuff. And then you go to Chili Bowl, you're racing against guys through the whole world. I mean, there's different country. I mean, there's 300 something guys there. I mean, net from NASCAR to dirt mods, late models, sprint cars. I mean, the best of the best is there. So, and then, you know, even though we didn't do as well as we thought, but I didn't do as good as I wanted to, but, you know, looking at all the names and all the people you're racing with, I'm like, hey, man, you know what? we're midfield. So we're like top 150 out of 300 and something. Hey, that ain't bad, (laughs) you know, right. For, for me. So I guess, I guess that was in a really started making a difference because I started traveling a lot more and and racing against guys that I read about on, you know, magazines, you know, and 
occasionally beating some of them, you know, and that's when it really started hitting like, you know what? I can run with them. I don't care who they are. It could be Kyle Larson. It could be anybody. We're all racers. And I, and if I know if I have the right stuff behind me and the right equipment, I think I can run with them. So I guess then is when it really started. I'm like, you know, I, I can run with them. Yep. About four or five years ago, three, four or five years ago, you guys really did hit the road a lot. Um, and you ran the, well, sort of the ARDC schedule or yeah. USAC Eastern or whatever you want to call it. It was kind of both at the same time. Um, yep. And you're winning races. And I mean, you wanted some important tracks, you know, Big Diamond, um, mm-hmm. uh, Susquehanna, which they call BAPS now, right? Um, yep. You know, you guys went down south and won some races in Florida and Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, that's got to that's got to probably be the point where you're like, yeah, we we know what we're doing here. Well, yeah, I mean that that's when it started hitting me a little bit, like you know, because at first, like the traveling thing was just fun because you're talking about you know a guy from Vermont that doesn't get out of Vermont a whole lot, and you start traveling around to tracks you've never been to. And you actually can, you know, finish decent or even win. And I don't know, it's, it's, uh, that kind of opened up my world a little bit and then making me realize that I'm no different than anybody else. We're all there to race. So if you got the right stuff behind you and the right crew and the right, and everything clicks together, things can happen. And you'd be surprised at things that could happen. How important so. is it? for you especially at that point in getting out and traveling to find those new challenges or new goals when you're having this you know dominant run here to keep you from getting complacent or getting bored finding those new challenges complacent that's the right word yeah i don't know i just it's it's important because it i don't know i don't know how to answer that um Put it this way. Would you still be happy if you weren't traveling and you were just dominating here over and over I, year after year? I think that I would still be happy because I'm racing because some people, you know, I'm a very fortunate person. I get to do what I'm doing. Um, but eventually it was for myself, it was going to happen. I, I was going to move along somewhere, something because because I will, I always want to better myself. And this has nothing to do with the track you're racing weekly, the people you're racing it's weekly. It's just, okay, I've, I've won here. I've won there. I want to win at every track I've ever gone to. Like that's my goal. Like every track I go to, like, all right, when we come back, we're going to be better anywhere this time. You know, like that's, that's my look on stuff. I don't, I don't know. It's, but there's a lot of things that come into it. I, I'm fortunate and lucky and got a lot of people behind me to do what we're doing. And I just been lucky enough to win some races and go places and, you know, finish good or win. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's important, I think, but you have to be prepared though to get your ass beat. <laughs> like you got to know going in that you're going to somewhere new. You've never been there and guys that you've never raced with, you can't go there and be like, I'm going to kick their ass. Yes, you want to have that attitude like a little bit like because you've got to feel confident. But at the same time, you have to understand the back burner that you, you might get your ass kicked, <laughs> which is fine. 
Next time, it won't kick you. Won't, it won't hurt as bad next time because maybe you'll do better. Right. That's all. Let's talk about some of the people that are behind you. You've had um, a bunch of car owners. Like you said, you're, you're a fortunate guy and you've got a lot of rides right now mm-hmm. um, or in the last several years anyway. How did mm-hmm. all that start coming about? Did they approach you or did you approach them? I guess they approached me. I drove for my, I mean, I drive for my dad, obviously, but still, but now with the big block stuff, it's a little different, but um, you know, the midget stuff, you know, Frank called, called me and got, got the, my number from someone and talked to him and then started running the midgets for him. And then, um, you know, with the tiger car, dad knew Todd and he wanted to get me into an asphalt car. And I said, yeah, we'll do it. So we drove for him there. And then, um, the Bruce Clattenburg with the sprint car. He called me and asked me if I wanted to finish the year up and then race from the next year. And so I guess, and then Gage, uh, I just, I kind of ran his stuff a little bit at the end of the year in Charlotte with his Higfab cars. And uh, he got out of racing and then um, sponsored me. And then I told him if he wanted to race, he could race on my cars. He did once, I think, or twice. And then he wanted to build a new, a new car. So I guess, I guess I, they've, I guess they've all come to me, I guess. I don't know if that sounds bad or not. I mean, I never went asking for a ride or nothing because to me, you got to earn it too. So, but sometimes though, it never hurts to ask though either. Yeah. It's got to feel good though. Yeah. Yeah. It feels really good. I mean, like I said, I've been very fortunate. I got, you know, my boss now, uh, Ben Gray, he, he does a lot for the racing. My dad, Gage, my wife. Um, my family, fans, all my sponsors, my cousin, Chris, um, uh, there's a lot of people behind the scenes, you know, the people that will show up to a racetrack and, you know, the Johnson family, um, Johnston family, um, they used to show up at the bowl or come to Albany, not Albany, uh, the bowl. And they came help us super dirt week this year. I mean, they'd show up and just hand me a couple hundred bucks to buy a tire. I mean, that goes a long way, even though it's only 200 bucks that buys me a tire. And you times that by, you know, 15, 20 people throughout the summer, that's pretty good help. It all, it all helps. All, it all makes a difference. And sometimes the, uh, the biggest helpers are always under the same roof. And you mentioned you have a son getting older who's looking at maybe starting, lovely wife. How big are they in making it possible for you to do what you love to do? In my opinion, it's half of it because – you know, racing takes a lot of time away from family, but racing is a family sport. So if everybody is into it, you can actually make it fun. And, and you know, if my wife didn't like racing, we would not be where we are right now <laughs> at all. I, I would not be because, I mean, you know, she deals with all the stuff where I'm out in the shop all week long, you know, and but she so she supports me and has my back, and I know that. So you know, going to a racetrack, knowing that you got confidence from your from home, from your friends, your family, that all plays in how you drive. So that, when for me, it does. When you're a teenager and you're dating, uh, and you're you know you're trying to just have fun, and you meet a girl who says, "I don't really like racing." Do you pull the "Do you know who I am?" card? Like. <laughs> I'm Adam fricking Pearson and this is what we do. We're racing. So like, I mean, but that's, I'm, I'm sort of being serious about that. Like that's gotta, that has to line up for you. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, 
especially during high school, I had, I had one girl that I was off and on for a long time. Um, she was into the racing. She would come to help and support and stuff like that. Um, she, she liked it. But again, like you said, though, you're a kid still, and you're kind of having fun. So at the same time, you're having fun. And then the questions get brought up, like, why do you have to spend so much time out there? Like, why do you have to do all this? You know, because they don't know. People don't know, like, what it takes to race. And it takes a lot of time. Um, and even, even my, well, my wife now, Shauna, you know, in the beginning, she loves racing. She still loves it. Um, you know, in the beginning, she didn't, she didn't understand how much time it took in the shop. She never got mad. She never told me I could never race. She never told me no to nothing. Um, and then after a few years, you know, we won some races and championships and she saw it. She's like, now I understand, you know, how, why do you have to spend so much time to be up front? You can't just unload the car after a night race and wash it, put it in the garage or even leave it in the trailer and then come back next week. You know, so it, it all plays in a factor. And without, you know, especially without her having my back with all this stuff, I wouldn't be where I'm at either. So. Is your son starting to help you in the shop at all? Oh, yeah. Yep. He started. Yeah, he started helping about two years ago because he said he wanted to race and stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, you're just like my dad told me. You're going to have to start in the shop first. You have to do the worst stuff first. You always start with the worst and it gets to the better stuff. Um, he was supposed to race this year, but just with our racing stuff and the schedule we had and trying to get everything done, just didn't get the car done in time. So, and you can blame me for that because he, he helped build it during the winter. He helped, he helps me during the summer, wash. I mean, all my kids will come out and help me wash the race cars and, you know, driving the race cars. Now they know how to drive them in now the shop and stuff like that. So it was funny when. Ashton got into the big block. He's like, looks at me. He's like, man, this is way different than a 602 crate motor. <laughs> so stuff like that's priceless, you know? Tell him to back off a little bit, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, How hard, or is that hard for you to have to make that call? We talked about it a little bit with Nick Sweet. He mentioned his kids loved running go-karts, and they kind of wanted to keep going he couldn't really do it with his schedule and he kind of had to be selfish about it that, mm-hmm. you know, his racing came first and he couldn't help his kids progress farther. Is that a yep. hard call to make? Of course. And, and actually it, it was kind of, I even tell people like, I'm like, Oh, I thought Ashton was supposed to race. And I'm like, yeah, well, I guess you could say I'm selfish with this year because what we're doing and the time that we have and, um, it is a tough call to make, you know, at some point, you know, not necessarily going to hang up the helmet, but you know, right now we're in full swing of racing and stuff that I've never done before. And I'm thankful that we're doing it and you only live once, but also you don't want to miss other things too. Um, it's tough. It's a tough call. Very tough call. But you know, if Ashton does race this year, which I, I'm pretty sure he will, we'll definitely have the car done. You know, if we go racing, we're going to be racing Friday nights at Albany. Then, you know, we'll just take the sports, the limited car over with him and then I'll run the big box. And then when Gage wants to race, because he's going to race a couple of times, he said, then we'll have to bring two trailers. With no extra help. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
What's your goal yeah. right now? Uh, my goal right now is, well, for next year, I want, I want to get a super dark car series win somewhere. That's my goal. Um, is it going to happen? Who knows? But I'm going to try. Um, I'd like to finish decent every week at Albany and then wherever the points end up, they end up, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's about it though, I guess. The pull into victory lane there at the great race place. Oh, Albany? Yeah. That that night was pretty special because Gage was there and this is how the night started. Um I wanted him to drive his own big block that he owns. And he's like, yeah, maybe he doesn't like hot summer and all that. So we get there. He said, yeah, I'll drive. I'll drive. Okay. I get both cars ready, small block and the big block. We unload them. He shows up and I'm like, all right, you're driving the big block. Well, I don't care. Whatever car you get ready for me. Cause I have to change the power steering box location. I got to change the belts and stuff. So, you know, cause we're obviously different size and He's like, so whatever, whatever you want me to drive. I looked right at him. I said, whatever I want you to drive, they're your cars. What car do you want to drive? I want you to drive the big block. And he's like, well, whatever, you make that call. And then I'm like, all right, you're going to drive the big block. And then he's like, well, wait a minute. I said, what? He's like, well, what if you have like a good run tonight, you know? And like, you, cause you need the big block, big block here. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I said, but it's not about that. Like, I want you to drive the big block. And he's like, no, but I just don't want to screw up a good run if you had one. I'm like, fine, then. You can drive the small block. Perfect. Good. And it just so happened to be that night that he was there racing, and we won in his car in the big block. And it was just one of those things, like, it was just weird. And I came in, and the first thing he looked at me, he goes, see, what did I tell you? If you had the small block, you wouldn't have won tonight. <laughs> you know, so it's it was cool. Your first win in a, in a car that you – you know, new at is always special. And I did not expect to win there. Um, you know, I was some good top fives and I was happy and thought we got to win and we'll take it. What's um, I would say that maybe the win wasn't expected, but I don't think anybody expected you guys to go on the run that you went on from about August on. Um, and I think of, you know, the battle of the bowl night mm-hmm. in August, uh, early August was, that was a huge night for you. Um, mm-hmm. You ran four features and never finished outside the top five. And you're yeah. racing against Stuart Friesen and Matt Shepard yeah. and Mike Mahaney and all the, all the big guys, Anthony Perego. And yep, it's your home track. Um, and you did well in the sportsman car, but you went out there in both the small block and the big block. And you were right there with those guys and, a yellow you've got to win you know potentially mm-hmm. you know and, yeah, and it mean, wasn't just there you had you had great runs at a lot of different races mm-hmm. no we you know racing's funny how it works i mean you get on a run sometimes like that and you know everybody's positive and everyone works together good um you know people help out and it just things have to click. And apparently from August on, things click till the end of the year, really. Um, We were fortunate that the car really didn't break. We didn't, you know, I didn't, things just worked out and it was cool. It was, I mean, some of these people that came up to you like, you know, oh yeah, we we know the orange 215 car now, you know? So it's, it's cool. I mean, it's definitely a cool thing to hear people talk about. How's that? 
are any of the drivers coming up to you? And I'm talking about Friesen and Shepard and guys like that, or or Kenny Tremont, you know, the, the heroes, Danny Johnson. Yeah. And saying, hey, uh, you know, like kind of giving you the time of day instead of saying, who's who the hell's this orange car? Right. Um actually uh Mike Mahaney, I saw uh, I was at Albany maybe one night and I walked by and I think it was a couple weeks after I won. He's like, Hey, he's like, good, good run two weeks ago, man. He's like, you were gone. Like, it, like no one was catching you. I was like, yeah, well, you know, it was green to check it. And he goes, yeah, but you didn't mess up. You went 35 laps and you still won. I mean, that's what it's about. And I'm like, yeah, I appreciate it. And then Anthony Prego, we're at weed sport on one of the super dirt car races. And I was walking up to check the track and he was coming back. And he stepped in front of me and he shook it. He stood in front of me and he goes, Hey, shook man. He goes, dude, that was a hell of a run. You had a couple weeks ago. He's like, you've been, you caught on quick, man. You're, you're right there. Like it's so awesome. I was like, Oh, I appreciate that. And I'm like, Hey, congrats on all the money you won in championships at Orange <laughs> County. He's like, yeah, man, it's good. You know? So it's, it's a cool feeling to, you know, to be a part of that group, I guess, you know, I mean, I might be the smaller guy in the group, but I'm still part of the group. So it's cool. We'll take it. I'm not that new guy that came in like, oh, who's this guy? He doesn't belong in a car. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, we don't have that. So that's always good. <laughs> so as we're getting close to the end, outside of obviously next season, do you have any aspirations or bigger goals that you'd like to accomplish? Or do you see, you know, kind of like, you hinted at, do you see a light at the end of the tunnel where you see yourself slowing down at all or. Um, I mean, I'm going to be 38 next year, so I'm not no spring chicken. I'm not old, but I'm getting there. Um, you know, I could, I, I perceive myself if everything clicks together, you know, for the next few years, I think this will be what we're doing. Um, and then once, once it's done, it's done. I think I don't, I don't think there's going to be anything else unless something else happens or people, you know, make something happen for us or something, you know, but I have a full-time job. Um, you know, I, I do like my family. I like spending time with my family. I like going to games and, you know, we camp in the summer too. And, you know, I wouldn't change anything. I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm going to go any further where I'm at now. I don't think, but you never know. World's world's crazy sometimes, you know, you meet the right person at the right time. And, you know, who knows that could be in a, a Bush series car, whatever nationwide car, whatever you call them. I doubt it, but I don't know if I'd want that. I kind of, I kind of like where I'm at. It's cool. Yeah. Maybe one of those, you know, nationwide races on dirt. (laughs) Meet in the middle. Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. I would, I mean, like I said, opportunity comes up and someone wants to drive and they want me to drive it. I'll drive it. I'm just saying we're, you know, we got to talk to Al. Cause I think we've talked to enough people where we could almost fill the schedule for thunder road this year. <laughs> people running the, uh, the junkyard warrior uncommon. <laughs> there you car. go. That's it. Uh, it's orange yeah. too. Just yeah. a different one every week. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So, yeah. well, that's uh oddly enough that actually ties into what i was going to ask you if the big block program goes away for whatever reason are you done or are you going to jump back in a sportsman car and go home or 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 are you just going to stop racing 
Oh, would, no. you, would you be happy getting back into a, a sportsman car or, or racing locally or, or part-time or whatever? Absolutely. I'm, I don't, I don't foresee myself just hanging the helmet up anytime soon per se. Um, but you know, life, life can get weird sometimes and stuff just happens. But, um, and if the big block stuff, when that, when that ends, which eventually it's going to, I'm sure just like anything, um, then I'll go back to what we can afford to do locally. I mean, that's, I have nothing wrong with that. Cause I, I always, I told myself when we started doing this stuff, I'm like, all right, well, this, this is only going to happen for a certain time. So you got to make the best of it now. And once it's over, it's over. And then you can say you did this and did that. And then back to normal stuff again, or local, whatever local is. It could be Bear Ridge, could be Devil's Bowl, could be Albany every Friday. You know, who knows? As long as I'm racing somewhere. Maybe you'll be at that point where it'll be, you'll be your dad watching your son surpass right. what you've done. Yeah. Right. Which I, you know, if he does and he gets into it and he does well, I hope he does. That's the whole point of it. I mean, gotta, I mean, if you don't, you don't. It's okay. Racing is fun. I mean, and that's the other thing, too, that people lose the sight of the fun in racing because even though it's a very competitive sport and I'm a competitive person, but at the same time, I want to have fun doing it. So, like, if we're going on a super dirt car race or whatever race it may be in the middle of the week and there's some people that can go, I want them to not forget that, Hey, I went to this. It was awesome. It was fun. You know, we finished 10th, but it was cool. Or we got wrecked. The big deal. It's the story's over and the story's back that you won't forget either. You know, before we get into our quick hitters, um, uh, something that I mentioned at the beginning of the show here. And, and it, again, it is the truth. Statistically, you are the most successful driver in the history of Vermont stock car racing. Um, and you're not, I mean, you're only 37, 38. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything, do you care about that? <laughs> is that, is that something that you, I mean, nobody ever sets out to, to do that, I think, but you know, does that mean anything to you or are you just going to keep going and whatever happens, happens? Um, Of course it does mean, it does mean a lot to me. I mean, I just, I try not to think about that kind of stuff because I don't know. I just don't want to think like, oh, well, Adam, you're, you're the best, best there is in the state of Vermont. Cool. All right. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool to hear. And it's cool that, you know, I don't know. I don't like talking about that kind of stuff. You know that, yeah. but um, is it reality? Yes, it is. And by you telling me that, I mean, I wouldn't have guessed that I'm the best in the state of Vermont. I mean, you're telling me that because you've kept track of all this stuff, you know? Um, well, but you know what? When, when Tom and I did our show with Bobby Dragon back in the summer, he knew that you were statistically better. He, he was keep, he's been keeping track. And he said, yeah, I think Pearson's probably beat me by now. No. Well, so, see. but, you, you know, the average race fan around here has Bobby Dragon up on the pedestal. He is, oh, of course. You know, he's the number one. Oh, yeah. But he recognizes that you are the number one. So I mean that's gotta <laughs> that's gotta feel pretty good too. Oh yeah, it does. It feels really good to be, you know, to be looked at as one of the you know the best ones in the state of Vermont. Sure. Absolutely. I mean I'm proud of that. And um yeah, it's just 
I guess it's just hard to talk about sometimes because I always look at myself. I'm no different than anybody else. I'm a driver. I go let it win and that's it. And I go home, mm-hmm. you know, but it's definitely cool to, to statistically I'm got the most wins or whatever it is, you know, it's cool. Now, along with that, and I'll keep this brief, but um, do you, did, I guess maybe have you, seen it or felt it or understood that it actually does exist that when you go to weedsport you are vermont's adam pearson you're not from east corinth you are from vermont and therefore you have vermont on your shoulders and all of the fans from vermont are cheering for you because mm-hmm. you're one of us or new hampshire even um you right know, because you are the only guys from this area trying to bite into that pie mm-hmm. no it's it's cool i mean I don't know. And I was told by us, I live in the wrong state because I have to travel seven hours to get somewhere where a lot of those guys can go three at the most for the most part. You know what I mean? Right. And, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a proud Vermonter. How's that? I don't forget where I am. And I don't think, I mean, I'll probably move out of here at some point, maybe when I'm retired, maybe go to Florida or something like anybody else does. But um, no, I'm, it's cool to be the, the Vermont guy. How's that? There you go. <laughs> that puts a bow on it right there. Yeah, there you go. Never mind, guy. <laughs> All right, now it's time for our Barry Tile quick hitters. Quick questions. Yep. Quick answers, long answers, whatever. Whatever mm-hmm. you want to do. Uh, first one, tell us about what's the best dirt road trip that you shouldn't tell us that you can tell us about? Yeah. The best road dirt road trip. Well, when me and my dad we went to Florida back in 2007 with a Imca modified, and it was me, my dad, and my my cousin. And the weather was horrid. I mean, it took us coming home. It took us thirty thirty six hours to get back from Florida. And we hit snow and it was a shit storm from like, like Virginia on. And it was just, it was awesome. Like the racing was great. It was fun. We met some people, but that trip home was miserable. I don't know if that's what the question you wanted or answered, but. Sure. All right. (laughs) What's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a race car? The dumbest thing? Yeah intentionally hitting somebody on the racetrack and wrecking myself and them ever popular I mean, answer for this question. Yeah. Give us, yeah, give us I mean, details here. Give us details. Oh, uh, I think it was at was it Barrage? I think in the modified, um, who was it? Might've been Brian Whittemore. I don't know. Oh, I think like, I don't know something happened and it kept happening like week after week. And I just got sick of it. And I just drove him like kind of T-boned him coming. I think it did a one into three and it, like just folded his car up, broke his rear end. And I just completely laid my front end right out. And my dad was pissed at me. <laughs> yeah. And that's when I'm like, you know what? You just don't do that in a racetrack. You get pissed off. You just, no, that doesn't do any good for anybody. 
ever. And we all get mad in the race car for sure, but it's just don't do that. <laughs> Finally, what's the best race you've seen in person that you weren't driving in? The best race I've seen in person wasn't driving in. We, the one that pops my head is we went to Georgia with the midgets to race down there. And this, I think the Lucas Oil late models were there and it was, uh, who used to drive the one car then? Chubb Frank. No, no. Um, God, I can't remember his name now. He, and this track was fast, red clay, and it was just, they were ripping the top so hard. I was standing right in turn two, turn two by the wall, and he was slapping his rear quarter panel off the wall, coming off into every lap for like four, 30 laps. Mm. I mean, the right rear quarter panel was like just gone, missing, but he kept hitting it at the same spot. And they were, and I've never, but that was the first time I ever saw a super late model on dirt. And I just was like, I can't believe they run like that. That's just unreal. That was, I gotta say, that's probably the, one of the best races I've seen. And I didn't race. I mean, I raced another car there, but I didn't race in that division. All right, man. So what's, what's coming up for you? Well, we got one motor out to the engine build to get rebuilt. And the other one's about done. And I've taken a couple weeks off to not do anything with race cars. Um, Cause had enough just like everybody does at the end of the year yeah um but rebuild time we got a new car coming in january so we'll have two big blocks and a small block um and then headed to volusia in february that's it that's where it's going to start anyways it's getting serious man two big blocks on a small block that's a it's the real deal yeah yep um we're actually still looking to get another big block motor for a spare motor in case something happens so you know because last year gage and i were going to do the super dirt car series full-time which we did for the most part um but we couldn't be full-time platinum because we only had one car and one motor and they told us that like, no you you can't you have to have two cars two motors or at least a car and two motors and after racing all year at Albany and then doing the super dirt car stuff and the special races everywhere, they're right. You've got to have, if you're going to do that kind of stuff, you can't just do it with one car. I mean, you can, we did it. Yes. But it beat up a lot in the motor stuff and, you know, yeah. I guess they're right. So, yeah. but yeah, next year, that's what the plan is. Think you're going to win. I'm hoping that we can, I, like I said, my goal is to win one super dirt car race. Last year we started, we went to Brewerton and we won a heat race there, which was pretty cool. You know, beat Jimmy Phelps at his home track and just like left him. Yeah. You know, it was cool. Um, and then finished seventh that night. So, you know, a seventh place finish in the super dirt car series to me is pretty good. I mean, going back and forth with McCready cause he was there around the 66 car between him, Maresca, Jimmy, all of them are all just, you know, we're right there. We're just slacking just a little bit. And some of that's me. So you see that twinkle in his eye, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> You're ready. Oh, I'm ready. It's just things just got to play out. You know, we got the right people 
in the team and we got a good team and I think, I think we'll be okay. I think we'll be all right. Well, enjoy the struggles and the journey, my friend. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. We'll do. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Adam Pearson, Vermont's greatest. We call him the goat here in the state of Vermont. And we finally got a dirt guy on Uncommon Deeds. Thanks, man. Yep, thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Have a good night. Good luck. Thanks again to Adam for giving us so much of his time. A great episode. And I know, Justin, that especially you have been really itching to get a dirt guy on Uncommon Deeds and we hadn't done it before now, and it doesn't matter why, but when we finally got it, we we brought it right. We brought it correct. We came correct. And you know what? It won't be the last time that we have a dirt guy this year, and I realize that there's only a couple of weeks left in the, in the year, but um, we're, we're not done with dirt guys by any means. We are going to be an all-encompassing podcast, as we told you we would be back in whenever the frick it was when we started, but um, yeah, it felt good to get it in there and do that. Uh, especially with Adam Pearson being our first dirt racer. It's, it's appropriate as a Vermont based show, right? Yeah. He's yeah. Uh, the goat, the King, whatever other nicknames you gave him throughout this. I think though he settled and we settled on his favorite being just the Vermont guy. Yeah. Yep. It works too. Cause he can't be from anywhere else with that accent. Let me tell you. <laughs> and the, uh, the beauty of being from a small state is they just say the state at a certain point. You don't, you know, there's not guys. Oh, he's, you see the California and no, you're, you know, is he the Los Angeles guy? Is he the Sacramento? You know, there's different when you're Vermont and you get out of Vermont, you're just the Vermont guy. Vermont. Something in New oh, Hampshire. Where, where, where's Vermont? You're Maine. from Vermont. Where's that? It's just Boston. You know where Boston is? Yeah. Right, right outside of that. You know, an interesting thing. And we didn't, we talked about it a little bit with each other off air messaging back and forth. And taken from this episode, I found it interesting. He talked about, Adam talked about how championships are nice, but they're never really a goal for him. It's always week to week. And he remembers a lot of great races more than great championships. Hmm. And this I found interesting because it's coming off the announcement that Jason Corliss and his Burnett Scrap Metals team will not be running a full year at Thunder Road next year. And you and I messaged back and forth, and we were pretty bummed about it because he had the opportunity to do what no one had done before, and that is four straight. And we talked about it with Derek O'Donnell, and you could hear, go back and listen to the episode with Derek O'Donnell, how, I mean, this guy went and worked on NASCAR teams, and he still pissed that he didn't go for four in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck Beatty, um, who we talked about in the open, uh, Chuck Beatty won three in a row, but then just couldn't win the fourth one in 95. How the hell do you even win three in a row? How do you win mm-hmm. two in a row? 
Um, How do you win one? If you depend you on win, who you are. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to win a championship in anything and to do it three years in a row and to make history at that time. And then you go 20 whatever years until O'Donnell did it. And he had the opportunity and didn't take it and has regretted it since. And now Jason Corliss has the opportunity and has already declared that he's not going to do it. And I'm like, damn son, that's not what I'd be doing. And listen, do I want to see Jason Corliss win another championship as a race fan? I think that that gets a little stale, but I also love numbers and a great story. And hell yeah, I want to see Jason Corliss win another championship because it's never it's never going to happen again, right? Right. Nobody's going to win four in a row. You want to see you want to see him knocked off the top of the mountain. You don't want to see him climb down the mountain, down yeah. the stairs, and just yeah, wait for someone yeah. else to climb up to the top. Yeah, there's something to that. And I and I think that, that probably when Dave Whitcomb won ninety five championship, that probably made it all that much sweeter that he beat Chuck Beatty heads up for it. And I think that if Corliss was to race full-time next year, somebody beating him would be amazing, but apparently it's not to be. So just, just an interesting thought I had, and I know you and I had talked to some people during milk bowl weekend and we had some high hopes that some things were, were happening and it was going to be an absolute dog fight coming into this year at Thunder Road. And yeah, right. You know, some of those things that we heard about, we don't know if it's actually going to happen yet, but then you hear this and it could just be an absolute and complete changing of the guard next year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's wide open now, right? Yeah. So who do you cheer for at this point? You know, with all of the talk about Christopher Pelkey this year, God love him. He's the underdog and he's the one that everybody's cheering for sentimentally. Um, but Jesus, I would love to see Trampus Demers finally get a title. <laughs> how long, how, how many years does that guy need to not win one? He deserves several and uh, it would be great to see him with whether Corliss is there or not, or whoever he's racing. I don't care if there's just one other car out there, Trampus Demers, should be a Thunder Road champion at this point. Yeah. There's there's quite a, I mean, I think he missed a race this year and still almost finished in the top five in points was Brendan Moody. Yeah, yeah. And I believe he had Jeff LeCare helping him out. He did. He did. And he's put in the work. And um, who did we talk about? It was Bobby Therian brought this up that, you know, Brendan Moody's already got a street stock and a um, Tiger championship to his name. To add a late model would be pretty amazing. And then you have all the young guys, your Marcel Gravels and Brandon Lanfear. Brandon Lanfear, yeah. Even maybe someone here we're not th- like a Daryl Morin who got his first win. Yeah. Maybe he can get in on that. It, like you said, it, it looks wide open. And for the first time, and God, you'd have to go back quite a ways where there wasn't an overwhelming favorite or favorites coming into the year. I mean, I guess, I guess Pelkey is that favorite right now, but not but still like it feels not like O'Donnell or sweet him. coming into the year where everyone kind of knew 
it was going to be one of those two. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not that kind of favorite. Right. Or a Corliss the last couple of years where everyone knew, oh, something's got to happen for someone to beat him. Tyler Cahoon, Kyle Pembroke. I mean, if Stephen Donahue could put a, a full run together with, with some consistency, you know, he could be a I, – I could see that happening easily. Let me ask you this, Justin. Is White Mountain now kind of the per- premier late model place right now? Hmm, no, no. Nothing will ever top Thunder Road. But in terms um, of field, that's there every yeah. week and names per se. I don't know. Uh, that's a tough one. I Well, put it this way. It's close enough that we could have this conversation and not it yeah, be over yeah. in two I, seconds. I can't tell you yes or no. Right. Now. Right. Um, Whereas normally it would be over. That conversation would be over in, you know, five right. seconds. Uh, what I would like to see is a guy like Jeff Marshall who won the championship at white mountain, who was a damn good racer. Um, one, one at I'd 51. love to see him come over to thunder road and see how he stacks up against them. Cause let's be honest, the thunder road guys aren't going to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're just, that that's not what they do. Um, or, or Quinny Welch or Stacy Cahoon, if he came back or something like that and see how they really stack up. And yes, we can all see how they do in the ACT races when the tour is there at white mountain. Um, this may be the year though, if someone wanted to come over and try yeah. to leave a mark. Yeah. Like you said, it's wide open. Yeah. I, you know, and I, I mean nothing disrespectfully when I say no, you know, that was my gut reaction was no with white mountain, but um, you know, thunder road is thunder road. And that's just how people will always see it. Like Stafford, when you go race modifieds in Connecticut, Stafford is, the key track. It's not Thompson. It's not Waterford. That's just how it is. Make sure everybody that you uh, follow us on all the socials, Uncommon Deeds on Twitter and Facebook, Uncommon Deeds podcast on the Instagram. The Instagram. If you want to be a part of the Uncommon Media family, you can get at us on any of those socials or you can send us an email at uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. Yep. This has been a episode of the Uncommon Deeds podcast, a production of Uncommon Media.